everybody, welcome to This Week in Mormons. It's me, Jeff Openshaw, your founder, your host. I'm online again after last week's fiasco, but I think the audio quality still sounded pretty decent, so that part was nice. But it's great to have the internet once more. Uh, don't buy USB-C hubs with Ethernet ports from from no no brand companies on Amazon, no matter how, how good reviews they get. That's what I'll tell you. That's my advice. It causes what's called internet storms, it turns out, and everything goes to pot. I wish I'd known that because I gave the fine people of Verizon Fios and Google uh, an earful multiple times last week and felt like a non-Christ-like figure. But that's how that's how I went. So I'm very happy this week, though, to be back. And I'm thrilled once again to be joined by Patricia Doxy. It's been a while, Trish. How are you doing? I'm doing so well, Jeff. And I want everyone to know that Jeff uh, greets all of his friends with the same exuberance that he greets you. Um, so just I love the enthusiasm. Um, and it's great great to be back on the pod. My wife thinks I'm an extrovert. I don't know if this is true, but she believes she believes I am. Okay. We've had whole discussions about this. My, my wife feels she's more introverted, which is, I don't know. You know my wife. You've known my wife longer than I've known mm-hmm. my wife. My yeah. Wife Danielle, but she feels she's a little more introverted, but I feel like, no, I, I, I sometimes just want to hide down here in my office and not talk to anybody, but maybe extroverts burn out and that's what happens. I don't know. Yeah, you know, I think there's a little bit of introverted pockets of all of us, as well as extroverted, and it's just about balancing them and remembering to recharge, Jeff. There we go. That's what I have to do. How's uh, how's how's the life there in, in the Salt Lake, in the fine world of Wasatchia? What's new? What's going on up there in the 801? Um, yeah, Salt Lake's, Salt Lake's been great. There was a little bit of a cold snap, but the weather for Halloween trunk or treat season was perfect. Um, just cold enough where you wanted to wear your full costume, but not too hot where, um, the masks became unbearable outdoors. It's like the Catholic Jesus, large enough to fill the whole world, small enough to fit in your heart. Exactly. So great. The, the trees are, the leaves are changing down in the valley. Um, nothing as what it looks like in Virginia. Um, but fall is still, yeah, but you get like legitimate fall. Yeah. It's It's been, it's been pretty, pretty special. That's awesome. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled. We also <sighs> had Salt Lake Mayor um, Aaron Mendenhall came by our street for who, who is a, a woman. I've learned recently. <laughs> who is a woman? Who's Women a- can be mayors too, Jeff. <laughs> so that was pretty exciting, as well as uh, former state epidemiologist Angela Dunn also came by. So uh, was she former? Like, did COVID end her tenure, or was she? This- she switched to the Salt Lake County uh, Health Department. She got a lot of threats on her life. Probably the one of the most tumultuous times where people actually know who the state epidemiologist right. is. Um, but uh, yeah, Angela Dunn's a, a great, great woman, and she's doing some great things now at the Salt Lake County um, Public well, Health Department. I mean, lest you forget all these various epidemiologists and people who have quietly been experts in their field for decades and no one knew who they were. This has all been one big ploy to benefit financially from it. As we all know, this is what they've been working towards. Um, you know, I mean, that, this was Fauci's game from day one. So go figure. Uh, I hope Halloween was, was good. It's always funny having Halloween on the Sabbath. I don't know how, how is you're in Salt Lake, which is not, you know, people don't always know that it's not actually like Mormon central or Latter-day Saint central. It's still heavily Latter-day Saint. Was there still Halloweening on the Sabbath, or did people shy away from such an activity? So I, I felt Sabbath-y. back. I felt back in my uh, colonial first ward days. I had lots of social engagements. I was not used to it. Thursday night was our trunk or treat, 
And um, I, I, I go to the Garden Park Ward in Salt Lake, which you may be familiar with the chapel. It has some grounds and pond and, um, and they really work hard to make uh, church activities, community activities. So they put out flyers, the whole neighborhood. So Thursday was pretty fun, um, trunk or treat. And then Saturday, our block had a block party and there was a lot of uh, trick or treating associated with that. And then Sunday, I went down to Provo to a friend's house. So I wasn't actually around, but I was shocked at how many kids came around on Saturday. Um, I seriously underestimated and ran out of candy around seven. So, um, so I felt a little bad, but we had to turn off our lights. I felt very scroogey. I felt yeah. uh, like I was waging a war on Halloween, in fact. Which is apparently, you know, we might as well just pivot into that. So, folks. <laughs> Let's do it. The war on Halloween, everyone. Um, Deseret News is alleging that there is a war on Halloween. Uh, can sa- Halloween survive the war on the holidays? To be clear, this is not necessarily Latter-day Saint exactly specific. I don't even know if the author of it, Jennifer Graham, is herself a member of the church. But it's from Deseret News and the church owns it. So, fine. There's no disclaimer. I mean, is there any disclaimer in the article that says this doesn't represent the views of even the church or its ownership? It does say, let's see here. It says all all opinion and perspective articles are set to pre-moderate. I don't know. I don't think it draws the line very well. So fine. So this is about Mormons. That's what we've decided. So first came the war on Christmas, then the war on Columbus Day. Could Halloween be next? It's already happening in some school districts where administrators have deemed the beloved fall celebration inappropriate because it is not inclusive enough. And then she pivots all the way to, this is Deseret News National, by the way. So talk about some coverage here in Massachusetts, outside of Boston, where they want to de-emphasize it in favor of community building through fall celebrations, because Halloween is exclusive, apparently. I don't know. It's... I don't know. I I feel like the people who get to should be the most upset about Halloween is that our, that we've co-opted it from basically the Celtic folks who created it in the first place. I mean, isn't yeah. this their jam? So this just felt so culture war mongering that I really hesitate to give it oxygen, <laughs> and I just found it so cringy. First off, there is no war on Christmas. People still celebrate Christmas, and there are loads of Hallmark Christmas movies and cards and making Which celebrations. And schools be more inclusive of other traditions is not a war on Christmas. But that besides, um, yeah, she, she cited an example of a school district near Salem, which she found particularly insulting. But, you know, the, uh, the history of witches in that, that area wasn't really positive either. So <laughs> you, I don't. Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I don't know that religious fear mongering was particularly good for that community. And um, I don't know is entirely productive for ours. I'm just excited to see how she embraces other holidays like Juneteenth. Maybe we should ask her what her plans are for that. <laughs> there we go. So that's just a, this is a thing that happened. Um, 27% of Americans, of white Americans, say Halloween is one of their favorite holidays, but only 6% of blacks. That's actually an interesting factoid. Um, some people saying maybe, and, and could people stop doing racist costumes? I mean, I don't think that's wrong necessarily. I think we're all, many of us trying to figure out the the right. places where, how we should act in that sense. Like I, I remember 
20 odd years ago, right? When I was like in a band and my, my life was my band. They were my social life and my quasi hobby professional life with rocking out and stuff. And our uh, other guitarist dressed up like Shaq for Halloween. And he's like five, four and he put his entire body in blackface and got lips and put on a Lakers Jersey. And we all thought it was absolutely hilarious. And he, he covered his head and everything. In hindsight, I think we'd now we'd probably say like, "Oh, this is insensitive." At the time, we just thought it was this this amazing costume that it took all this time to put together to become Shaquille O'Neal. But um, you know, different times back then in uh, 1999, 2000, when different things were happening. I don't know. I think uh, you know, there's no war on Halloween, and this is the same people who are going to get upset about Columbus Day potentially becoming Indigenous Peoples Day. And it's like. Well, like we can, I mean, I don't mind celebrating that like we discovered the new world because a lot of us are here because of that, but we can't just sweep under the rug the atrocities that also did happen to many people who were just living. This is a digression, but uh, anyway, yeah, we're on Halloween. I don't know if we can survive. I think it's over. I, I think it's over. I, I, did, I don't think it even started. So did you, see, did you see uh, the picture, though, of Mitt Romney? Uh, yeah, those, those were pretty charming. Um, Ted Lasso is one of the charming, um, darlings of the pandemic kind of restored, restored my sense of, uh, hope and goodness in a very tumultuous couple years politically and socially. (laughs) Um, so that, that, that was a fun little story. So for those who didn't see it, um, I love some of the comments on this when Deseret News shared an article on Mitt Romney. Because people were like, this looks staged. I'm like, yeah, of course it's staged. Like, of that's course the, it's staged. Like, this, isn't, this wasn't some reporter just hanging around Kirsten Cinema's office and Mitt Romney happened to walk in. To so Mitt Romney dressed, put a mustache on. Wore some, he dressed like Ted Lasso, the, the famous character. And he appears to be giving the famous box of cookies to one Kirsten Cinema, who, who incidentally was raised a member of the church and only left right. the church in her 20s. Yeah. But they don't touch on that element of it. But you do have two baptized Latter-day Saints in this photo, for better or for worse. Um, and apparently, I don't know if she's deliberately trying to dress up the play, the part of Rebecca or if she's just dressed up in her office as she dresses and Mitt Romney did his thing. Anyway, the, it's just funny. Mitt Romney got a big kick out of this. He took a bunch of pictures for Halloween. I think it's great. He's having a jolly, happy time with it. And the funny thing, though, is... He talked about him enjoying the show, Ted Lasso. He said his sons turned him on to it, which, 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 folks, if you know, if Ted Lasso is overall known as an uplifting, positive program, but it is also chalked to the brim with British people swearing right and left. Just the only character who doesn't really swear in the show is Ted Lasso until like the season one finale when he said, when it's like the last thing he says. But otherwise, it's got a lot of language. And so I don't know, between this and that picture from 40, 50 years ago of Mitt Romney clearly leaving his mission boundaries in France to take a picture in Spain, I don't know how much we can trust Mitt and I might be turning on him and I might be siding with a lot of other listeners who think he should not get a second term because where's his faith? Where is his faith, Patricia? My husband said the same thing and I don't know what it says about me, but I really did not even notice the language. Um, so I don't know if that just means I'm desensitized or I'm just so holy. I don't, I don't hear those words, but I did think it was interesting that the article mentioned that Friday night lights is one of Romney's favorite TV shows. Yeah. And I was just wondering if he skipped all those sex scenes. Um, cause it's a pretty sexy. show. Is there that, I mean, Friday night lights though was a net, it was, it was network 
television. I mean, there's there's standards and practices there. Was it that sexy? Is it I remember that blushing, but it was years ago. Which I also watched the show, so I'm not I'm not judging him. But uh, I just thought it was interesting that that was his favorite show. Now, as um. A bit of a note, though, I noticed on Halloween this year, especially my Instagram lighting up over the weekend between trunk retreats and Halloween day of and all that. uh, Ted Lasso was a very popular character for people Mm -hmm. of our faith. It wasn't just Mitt Romney, unless he inspired everyone and everyone just threw together Ted Lasso costumes at the last minute to make. I don't know. But it does speak to me. It's not this. Whenever you lead off saying, like, I'm not judging, but you usually are judging. So I genuinely don't care. But I think from a, from an anthropological, a sociological standpoint of a, of we as a people, where we profess our certain values, recognizing though there's there's a kaleidoscope of belief and different things among us, right? Like like I don't think anyone who watches Ted Lasso, I've seen some Ted Lasso, I don't think any of these are bad people who lack faith or anything like that. I don't, but I do find it interesting that when we try to have our image of who we are as Latter Day Saints. Concurrently, apparently a large body of our people are very, very much okay watching a program that would be rated R for excessive profanity across the board. Not the end of the world, but I just found it kind of funny, mostly just funny, just funny. That's all. I'm not judging you, Patricia. I'm not judging any of you. I promise. I'm not well, judging you. Know, I, I watch a- the Americans top to bottom. I'm a, you can't, I can't judge anyone. I'm okay. I, I have a gift of rarely feeling guilty. So even if you were judging me, I don't think it would bother me. That's that's a terrific place to be. <laughs> uh, yeah. No kind no kind of guilt. Anyways, that was it was between that and Cruella, man. There were so many Cruella costumes in my feed. Especially for tweens. Just love Tweens. It, you, know? you should see it. So yeah, good job, Mitt Romney. Good job, Halloween. This is Halloween. I tried to get my kids to watch the nightmare before Christmas. They weren't into it. It was I don't know if I've ever seen it, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. It's a classic. It's pretty short too. It's not a big. It's not a big commitment. It's like watching two episodes of Ted Lasso. You're done. <laughs> Which, I, yeah, I can definitely do that. So maybe I'll tackle it. All right. What else do we have? Um, I I thought there was a pretty interesting article from Exponent on um, has the LDS Church become more woman friendly since 2015? Interesting. Um, a follow up piece. She. Uh, listed, um, she mentioned a report published in 2015 about incremental changes that the church could make to make it more equitable. Um, and th- so there's a bit of text at the beginning. She, she covers some interesting points. Um, and then the there's a table down below where she lists all of the recommendations by, by topic and then updates that have been made um, to yeah. make it more equitable. She does say in the introductory text that a lot of the um, steps that were taken to make it more equitable were actually just kind of taking away the problem instead of addressing it. For example, giving women or stopping the exclusionary practice based of gender on uh, in general conference, they just took away those um, conference sessions, um, but didn't actually increase <laughs> the number of female speakers. They did better this time. We had we had four female speakers. One for only one session didn't have one. Sure. Which, I mean, there was two last time. So. Right. Um, but if there would have been a women's session, there would have been even more than that total. I I, I know. Exactly, but she did she did name um, a number of things that have happened. Um, so it was it was good looking back on some of those, like rewriting the temple ceremony to make it more affirming to women. Um, incorporating Heavenly Mother into the Young Women theme, allowing sister missionaries to wear pants, 
um, ending the ban on women as witnesses to weddings and baptisms, which is interesting because I happened to go to a wedding shortly after that policy was changed. Both the witnesses happened to be women um, because the father, there were no present father figures or grandfather figures. So that was a special moment. Um, And then allowing interviewees to bring a support person or mm-hmm. witness to priesthood interviews. But Jeff, I, uh, I know you read through the list. Were there any of the goals down at the bottom or recommendations that you thought were interesting or striking? I, I wrote down a number of them. Yeah. I mean, and some of them we haven't done yet. Like the first one, the very first one on the, on the charts down below, you know, have the same minimum age standard for male and female missionaries. It's still, it's, it's changed a little bit. It was a two-year gap. Now it's a one-year gap, 18 and 19, respectively, compared to when it was 19 and 21. Um, I remember once, I think when they changed the age those years ago, someone asked Elder Holland, like, why don't you just make them all the same age? And he just said one miracle at a time. So I don't, you know, so I don't know. Well, we don't, we don't know. You know, we don't know what we don't know. I think I sound like Roy Kent. We don't know. We don't know that we don't know what they've, talked about, but maybe they have inquired about this and feel it's still not the right time to make them the exact same age. That's fine. And you mentioned the sister missionaries. I like the one, one thing I appreciate when we severed our relationship with Boy Scouts, which I've had mixed feelings about. I fully understand the reasons for doing so. And especially because Boy Scouts has become more and more of kind of a a a third rail as time's gone on, I think as well. Um, But the thing that has bugged me though, is the disparity in budgets for both programs and, and ending the Boy Scout relationship and doing things in-house, so to speak, for our youth programs, really does get us more to a place of equity between in the youth programs. Not everything's the same, of course, but for me, that's really big because if you you've seen these budgets, and it's incredible how much money we chucked at Boy Scouts that mm-hmm. we could have been using elsewhere. You know, yeah. basically, you know, defund the young men is what basically happened, defund people, the young and men. that's literally <laughs> that's what we say. That that's the same idea. We we have reallocated resources. I like that one quite a bit. I think that's useful. Um, a small one I, that I kind of missed from October 2018, that young women yeah. may carry the sacrament tray. I noted this. Into the mother's lounge. That is only. all. Only the mother's lounge. But literally, if there's women in the mother's lounge, a young one, I don't know. I don't, I've never been in a ward yet that would be ha- figuring out the logistics of that. If you have a young woman just standing in the foyer in the event, there's someone in the mother's lounge. I'm not sure. But I, th- I, I missed that completely in all the years you know, covering Latter-day Saint news. I did not know that was a thing. Right, which is interesting to me because, you know, it's very practical and logistical, but so is passing the sacrament. And so it's interesting that, oh, in this one specific situation, it's okay, but not in these other situations. So I did think that that was an interesting tidbit. Um, A few other ones that I would like to see um, reconsider is giving spouses of mission presidents a title that reflects their calling. Mm, just think yeah. it's so weird that they don't have a title when they serve in a really meaningful leadership capacity. Um, and, uh, and you're set, and you're set apart for it. I mean, right. you're not, you're, you're not, it's not just the husband is set apart and you're tagging along and offering emotional support. It's a joint calling. Right. In every sense of the word. Yeah. And then, uh, making, uh, changing tables accessible to men in bathrooms. My husband's had a hard time with this. Just, you know, he, we, we don't really think about whose turn it is or what's responsibility. So when he needs to do it, he's just a little bit at a loss. I um, used to, we used to go to church, and I appreciate that too. We used to go to church in an older building that I think had yet to add, you know, the little koala changing mm-hmm. table in. And so I'd have to like duck into the little overflow for the Baptist, or yeah, for where you change for the baptistry because there was like a shelf there or something like that. 
and that's what worked. We're in a you know the you know the kind of the classic oval shaped track church building that you see. That's what we have now. Those all, those all have them. I agree. I think that's a great thing, and that's that's great inclusion for men, right? Because it's not just women's job to change diapers. You know, it's everybody. And make it possible for men to divide responsibilities with their spouses, you know, how, how they see fit. Oh, another one. I don't think you mentioned this. Mothers with dependent children may serve as ordinance workers. Oh, I, d- I didn't note that, but yeah. Which w- they used to not be allowed that. If you're a mother with by dependent children, they basically mean kids who are home and need attention and things going on. The church would say, no, you, if you have minor children, basically you could not serve in the temple because you're supposed to be momming to be and, this would, and this would take away from that, but they got can do it. it now. Yeah. So yeah, it, it just made me reflect on my experience as a woman and um, yeah, just looking forward of things, things that we can change that are more policy-based um, that don't have to be barriers. Um, of course, the author thinks that the, actually the easiest way to address these issues is to ordain women to the priesthood and give them, put them in positions of authority. Um, but even without that, I think there are a lot of things that we can do to match our doctrine of equality with our practices yeah. and policies. Um, and there's obviously a lot of things that are left blank here as well for the time being. And, and like we were talking before, in some of these cases, you have to accept the premise. You know, if you're a reader of the exponent too, you probably have been. And some people might read this and say like, no, I don't think that's a necessary step that we need to take as a church. But just acknowledging those for what they are and seeing what we have and have not done, I think is uh, pretty interesting. And also for another one for men, by the way, they deleted the requirement for men to consult with their bishops prior to a vasectomy. Um, I don't know if anyone... Wants to that's that's probably one, that's one of those one of those deeper more in the weeds requirements. Basically, I'm curious if anybody's comfortable talking about that. If you're a man and you've had a vasectomy, and you want to talk about, you can send me an email if you want. Jeff at thisweekinmormons.com. Mostly, I would love to know how many people actually were consulting with bishops for vasectomies. I I would assume probably not many, but I'd actually I'm I'm wondering how many were abiding by the previous handbook until a year and change ago just to do that. That's just, uh, you know, an interesting bit of information. I did not know that was a requirement and I would not have thought to include the bishop in that family decision. I know. And that's, I think, a good thing because we're leaving family planning decisions to families to families to, to do their thing. So, all right, quick follow-up from last week. I remember Jared and I were speaking about good old representative uh, Christiansen, of the Utah State Legislature and working professionally as a member of the presiding uh, bishopric as like a full-time employee of the church, Stephen R. Christensen. I don't want to say Christiansen, but Christensen. Um, he represented Utah Utah District 47. I don't actually, I never looked it up. Which one? Where is Utah? No, you know what? I don't know. I don't know. I want to know all these things. Where are you, Ballotpedia? Give me the information. The point is represented now is in the past tense, everybody else. He, after his uh, the big all the kerfuffle going on, where if you remember, he was using a a PowerPoint theme, a template derived from the church. It wasn't like he wasn't getting up there with like the church logo and saying, "Here's what the church thinks about my views on whether on election integrity and stuff like that." But he was using the design language from the church to put it forth, and he, they even found who, the originator of the template was the late elder Dean M Davies, who wasn't the presiding bishop before that. So it's more the issue of like, okay, he's using church collateral to do his day job, which is a little bit iffy. And then if anybody who's worked with the church, they might connect the dots and it's, you could see like tacit 
endorsements from Salt Lake about what's happening. I don't think any of this is the end of the world, but it looks bad. And I think in a state where that line can be a bit blurry between church and state in the first place, somewhere where I don't remember what the numbers are, but you know, the Utah state legislature is dominated by church members, active church members, primarily. Overrepresented no. compared to the composition of the yes. state, for sure. Well said. So anyways, he because of all the mess, he, last week he decided to resign, not just from his, his seat in the uh, in the House, but also to retire from his church. And his letter was one not particularly contrite, I don't think. Yeah, it was a classic sorry, not sorry apology. And just to clarify, he didn't um, resign from the church. He resigned from his uh, job at the church. Yeah, what did um, I say? Oh, just from the church. Okay. Um, <laughs> sorry, but just sorry. to clarify, yeah, for he didn't people. resign from the church. He resigned. He quit. He retired from his job. His his district. Uh, I found it here. The district, by the way, was let's see, going boarding up on Midvale, pretty much like South Jordan, Taylorsville, West Jordan, Taylorsville ish. Now that I'm like nine hundred nine thousand south up until about seventy eight hundred south, almost getting to daybreak, God's country, but not quite. Um, yeah, I feel like I feel like the church. I'd I'd be so curious to know if it was um, a decision he made or a decision his employer helped him make. Yeah, I feel like the um, church is really sensitive right now to its traditional relationship with um, the political parties in Utah. Um, I know they have a lobbyist up at the hill advocating for positions of in the church, um, the the Utah Hill. Um, but I I know they've been really sensitive towards that tension and i think especially their um their statements on the public health emergency and masks and vaccines have put them at odd odds mm-hmm. with some of the republican lawmakers um and their affirmation of um last year's election um also put them at odds so i i'd be so curious to do a deep dive into the current relationship between the utah republican party and um and the church church lobbyists and church interest groups. Yeah, it's 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 and it's funny though because the church does throw its weight around there. I mean, obviously, when there are legislative issues that arise in Utah, it doesn't have a problem sounding off either. So it's kind of funny in this case when it has sounded off on some issues, and they would just instead instead of saying like, "All right, the church doesn't want to, they want to maintain that Zion curtain so nobody can see us mixing up the booze at the restaurant. Let's get in line, fellas. Let's get this done." When it's something like this, like, no, no, the church is way off base. Why are they? No, no. Nelson's an old man. Why is he talking about vaccines? He doesn't know these things. It's just, we, we all pick and choose, I guess. Yeah. Fun times. Um. So uh, w- one thing, I don't even know if I can talk about this story, Jeff, because it was so heartwarming. Um, but the story about Tom Brady inspiring a boy who was um, undergoing cancer treatment. It was very touching. Um, so this, this, boy in utah do you remember how old he was i'm thinking 11 did i make that up if you keep talking i can, can this I can 11-ish year old more. boy um ten, 10 year old 10 year old, 10 year old. 10 year old um but undergoing cancer treatment and you know he was having a particularly bad bout and he was in the hospital nothing and they by the way really... this is brain cancer by the brain way cancer. Yeah. brain cancer so Our cancer is serious but like brain cancer yeah this is uh so nothing any any of the staff or his parents could do could cheer him up. And then he was like, you know what? I just want to watch Tom Brady clips, highlights. And so they showed it to him and, and kind of bonded over 
over that moment. And then a little while later, um, they were in their driveway talking about, you know, how to get through adversity. And his mom actually got a video message of Tom Brady reaching out to his number one fan in Utah and encouraging him to, to beat the, to beat the, um, disease. Um, and then, um, they recently went to a football game and he brought a sign that said, Tom Brady helped me beat uh, brain cancer. Um, and Tom Brady, you know, gave him his hat and then reflected on it in the post post game conference call. It was just a very touching story about, you know, somebody taking the time to use their, use their reputation for good. It's a, it's a great story of faith and perseverance and it's, Tom Brady, I don't know. People have hated on him, but it's like he seems like a stand-up guy. I, 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 I'm, I'm okay with it. Uh, can we talk about my the slightly cynical part of this, though? Yeah, but both Jeff and I noticed um, just one detail that <laughs> just kind of made to, us to be clear. This is a heartwarming, good. This is a good, positive thing overall. Okay, this is just us being what we're going to be for the next little bit, for the sake of being, I don't know, polemics or something. But whatever. This is this is what or polemicists. So, uh the thing that just kind of casually comes up in the story after all the, the, this boy struggles with cancer, Tom Brady helps buoy his spirits and, and a lot of fighting ter- difficult disease can be, you know, emotional and how you're feeling, your actual sense of well-being. And this is wonderful that he overcame this and they got to meet his hero. Uh, the thing mentions, of course, that they went to Florida for the for a Bucks game, uh, which was on a Sunday. And so it's just it wasn't lost on us kind of the the slight hilarity of all this talk of the faithful Latter-day Saint family embracing their faith and uniting as a family and all these wonderful things that are truly exceptional. Um, and then, you know, you know, just breaking the Sabbath so they can go to their football game. Right. I mean, that's I, just, yeah. I did think it, I did, <laughs> I did think it was specifically odd that they like called out that it was on Sunday, which I don't think they needed to mention either way. True. I have a pretty expansive uh, list of Sabbath appropriate activities. So it, I, I wasn't bothered by it, but I did think it was funny that they called it out so specifically. Yeah. And to be clear, I'm literally just being obnoxious about this as I can be. I, I would do probably the exact same thing in this situation. I don't think that there's supposed to be some general conference faith affirming story of, and then after Timmy beat cancer, we were invited to go to the Bucks game, but Timmy and said refused. no. But Timmy said no, Daddy. No, I don't want to. Br- I'm not going to break the Sabbath. And you know what happened after that? Timmy actually learned how to he- how to how to completely rid everyone of cancer. He like it's not that. It's okay that it's not that. It's your own situation, and good for them. They had a wonderful, positive. I've been to one NFL game, and it was on a Sunday, but I was on a work trip, and that was just. I I, I had is to that kind of before. your hiatus hiatus from your self imposed rules? Yeah, well, it work was, trip. All things, all no, things go. To be clear, it wasn't that I was going because it was work trip. All things go. The purpose of the work trip was to go to a Pittsburgh Steelers game because we were set up there taking part. We were doing some stuff with the army, and so like my job was at. <laughs> the Steelers the football game that's was pretty at, rough. was at the game there that day. So, um, so I'm not I'm, I'm not like that apostate. Maybe a little apostate, but just 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 a little bit. Um, let's do some quick some temples updates here. First of all, the real quick one: they broke ground for the Pago Pago American Samoa Temple. You might track that you know Samoa as a larger cult, multicultural nation is split between two 
political bodies. You have Samoa, the actual country of Samoa, and then American Samoa, which is a U.S. territory, and the residents there are U.S. citizens, but Samoa is not a state and all that kind of stuff. So there's been a temple in Apia, Samoa, for a very long time. It actually famously um, burned down in the early 2000s, and they rebuilt it, which I think is uh, just a good story for anyone who might think that like temples can't get burned down because they're temples and they'll be like, things can happen to temples. We still have to take care of them, folks. Uh, but it burned down, they rebuilt it. But now they're going to have a temple in Pago Pago on the American Samoa side. They broke ground on it. It's not going to be a huge building by any means. Uh, it's going to be in many ways similar to the one on the the sovereign Samoa side in terms of the, uh, the design and everything. So that's happening. Good on them. Good on ya. But then other slightly more interesting temple news, in my opinion, is the uh, over the weekend, Elder Garrett W. Gong of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles dedicated the Winnipeg Manitoba Temple. And this temple, is it's a curiosity for many reasons. One, it's basically serving one stake. But the saints there have had to travel to, I assume, Regina, Saskatchewan, or I don't know, somewhere in Ontario to go to the temple. And you're, you're pretty isolated. doesn't matter why they have their temple, which is great. And I actually dig the design of it. It almost looks like an augmented stake center is how I describe it. It looks kind of cool. Lots of brick. And they, they talk about the, one of the flowers of Manitoba, the design, the crocus flower that decorates it all over the place. That's all great. Wonderful. And they had the dedication. Elder Gong got to go and do it. The big deal here is that this is the first temple dedication since COVID started, since the whole start of the pandemic. Um, and it's actually leapfrogged at least one other temple in the process. The Rio de Janeiro Brazil temple was going to have its open house in March, 2020, prior to a dedication. I forget if the dedication would have been in April or May. COVID happened, church pulled back, ceased all activity. And unfortunately, Brazil has been ravaged by COVID. They've had major, major issues there containing it. And so there's still not a date for the uh, Rio de Janeiro temple. It has been sitting there. I think they light it up at night. Um, and like a lot of these things, the church could quietly dedicate it and reopen it and open it up in some capacity for the work. But we don't want to shy away from the opportunity to make a you know a big showing of having an open house and all the wonderful op- opportunities for public outreach that, 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 those, uh, that those represent. So... Rio still sitting there, and that means the Winnipeg Manitoba Temple is now the hundred, I believe, hundred sixty ninth temple operating in the church, if I'm not mistaken, or the hundred sixty seventh. I should double check. Where the yeah, hell are I was you? I was reading through the article to see if I could see it. I think they uh, mentioned ninth it, well, in operation in Canada and the hundred sixty ninth for the church yeah. worldwide. Yeah, beautiful building too. There's a lot of great pictures of it. it still has a Moroni. It's a a holdover from a holdover from a previous time, but uh, great building for them. But I think it's it's cool. We're doing that. We're getting there again, where we will slowly have temples potentially happening at some point. I mean, we've just had the open house for the Pocatello, Idaho temple, so that'll be dedicated here. Uh, pretty. What is it? I think the dedication is um, this weekend. If I'm not mistaken in Pocatello, actually. So the Mesa, Arizona temple is coming back online. Our Washington, D.C. temple is finally coming back. That's all the way next year. That's all we've got so far. And if you even look at the status updates, all it says under Rio is just postponed. We don't know anything. So good milestone, though, folks. Glad to see that. Glad to see good things happening. Yeah, the um, the Pocatello temple is going to be dedicated next Sunday. Yeah. That's literally what I said, Patricia. 
Well, you said this weekend, and I was just being a. You just wanted to be really specific. particular because we that, don't. Is that a more Sabbath day appropriate activity for you, Jeff? <laughs> I don't know. Ask a Pharisee. Is it okay to do? Is that to gather in a crowd? Is and that okay? Something? Does that count as a miracle on the Sabbath? Is that? A, I don't know. I don't know. That's uh, who knows. To gather in a crowd. So that's great. Great news. Pocatello coming up then, but then and then we'll have Mesa in December. Yeah. Um, another thing that's coming back are the giving machines for the holidays, which, um, which I've always loved, um, after their COVID hiatus, um, the giving machines are coming back, um, in several locations, they added a few, um, but in Las Vegas and Nashville, Honolulu, a couple in Utah, Oakland, Gilbert, Denver, Kansas city, and New York, um, a couple absences. They've done two international locations in years past, um, London and the Philippines, which aren't going to be back online this year. Um, but I, I think that's great. I think it's a, a great tradition and it's been really popular. And I, al- I always love the diversity of different things that you can give and really yeah. match up things that you're interested in. I think kids get really into it. Um, so that'll be exciting. I did think it was interesting. The article noted that the church um, covers the credit card processing fees and administrative fees so that, uh, and it stipulates it all. So 100% of the proceeds are going directly to the charity. So, um, I, I thought that was an interesting tidbit. These have been quite the, uh, quite the, both the PR and just the, the charitable coup, I think for the church. I feel like for a long time, every Christmas we were, they were, we didn't know what the campaign was going to be. It was always kind of like, what's the campaign going to be this time around? What are they going to dub it? What's the hashtag? What will be the the things we'll discuss the the collateral, but ever since they kind of hit on light the world has mm-hmm. been what we do almost every year now, and then they hit on that with the giving machines a handful of years ago, and those really just like struck a chord with the public, and so that's why they've done them now for for so many years, and I think it's it's great because I mean obviously it's it's. I'm not trying to look at this strictly from a marketing lens. It is great for like social. Like it's an awesome thing. People show up and everyone's Instagramming and TikToking and everything, their their experiences with the giving machines, which is a great way to get the word out. But it provides real help and relief for people who need it. And it's a very much it's an easy way to publicize that beyond something like articles from the church newsroom about what we've been up to, you know, and the things that are featured in the world report during conference, all very interesting material, but this really just taps into the spirit of the holidays. And it's such an easy way to get people talking about how, what, what more they can do. And I've, and their I, you know, I've used donation, made a donation at the, one of the machines is like presents for, for people and extended families. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I think it's great. And I actually love the the calendars they do, even for non particularly religious people. Um, it's it's a good reminder to get in the spirit of giving um, and and do things daily to reach out to people. So I've I've found them helpful and even you know modified it for non religious settings to promote um, to promote that kind of generosity of spirit. And with that said, by the way, the um the the rest of the Light the World campaign, which this year officially is going to be called Light the World with Love, um sounds like a sequel, you know, Light the World with Love. Uh, but on November eighteenth, the powers that be will go more into detail about what the campaign might be like this year. Because you've mentioned that, yeah, there's we've done the calendars, we've done different things uh, every year, and we'll see what happens here in a couple of weeks and see what they actually have in store for us. As far as I know, I don't know if we have President Nelson asking for a worldwide fast. Or uh, 
You remember the I remember the Give Thanks campaign. Are we skipping that this year? I don't know. I, I, yeah, I don't know. But I I have to wonder if um, uh, Light the World with Love is the sequel. If the follow up would it just screams that it would be Light the World with Vengeance. Um, <laughs> but probably not. But that's the first thing that picked me up for for a third. I'm coming with a sword. It's a terrible sword. I prefer I prefer the love one though. You like love more. More yeah, love officially. is better than yeah. Love is better than vengeance. Yes, in my opinion. I should write that down. That should be the name of this episode. Love is better than vengeance. People will say, "What on earth is this episode about?" Good times. Um, I'm excited to see those. I don't understand Trek, Patricia. I I want to. It's fine. I've probably, it's been, I've been doing this show for like 12 years. I understand that it's a thing and people have heard me talk about it. The church news covered uh, the Trek experience of youth in Argentina, just trekking it up like Trekkers Trek. One of my favorite things is the photo ops they get when they have like, who I'm assuming are the members of the the general authority seventies who are probably in the area presidency over Argentina. All the kids are like, they're trekking it up, you know, they're, they're all, they're dressing the part to do their trek. And then of course the North American dudes in their white shirts and ties are like, let's saddle up with this hand cart. And guys, guys just wear a polo shirt. For <laughs> just- I mean, that's all you can do. So mostly this article just highlights the great work that they're doing around Cordoba, Argentina, the saints and the kids are learning good things about the sacrifices of the early saints, learning about the shared pioneer legacy, quote unquote, right. that they have with them. And while I am all for us developing a good appreciation for what the early saints endured so that we can still exist as a religion and as a people today, and I think it's important we acknowledge that and do everything we can to to empathize with the with their experiences and come to understand them. But. I've just long not been sure if trekking is it's just if it, it to me it feels like we're trying to plop more American culture stuff on the international church, basically rather, rather than saying, what is the history of the church in Argentina? Who are the, who are the pioneers of the church in Argentina? What are we doing to celebrate them and their experiences? Cause undoubtedly there were trials of faith and great things that had to transpire in order for the church to grow and flourish somewhere like Argentina. Obviously that was still all completely dependent on the, the sacrifices of the original pioneers, of course. But, uh, is the, I remember a couple of years ago, they showed a similar thing. It was like the youth in Japan were out there trekking. And I'm just like, this is great for them. But like, don't they, I'm sure they have their own stories as well, rather than making them adopt something that is very Americana. I mean, hand carts and trekking across the plains and you're porting that into other cultures to try to make a point. I don't know. I've beaten on this a lot. Maybe I'm just off base and I I don't think it's altogether bad, obviously, but yeah, I mean, I love Trek and I think I, I love all recreational villages. (laughs) Just of any type. I just really like that kind of stuff. Um, I, I I loved uh, Plymouth plantation uh, up in the Northeast. So if people want to experience some of that historical magic, then I say, go for it. They had some good experiences. However, I do think it's odd that, you know, you had this um, missionary couple from North America that went down and ported in this Trek experience. And I do wonder if it could have been, you know, celebrate their unique church culture down there and some of the unique experiences by uh, reliving some of that history. 
But then at the same time, you probably have these youth who have seen Trek happening from afar and so maybe enjoy participating in it. So I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with it per se, but I do think we need to do better about celebrating. If we're truly going to be an international church, just recognizing the moments where there are um, very American perceptions and perspectives and um, cultural influences on the way that we experience church and maybe not try to port that um, directly into other countries. And I guess as I think about how I feel about Trek, I think it's because I view those experiences of the original pioneers. To me, it, I don't see it like just strictly as these are my church members. It seems so steeped in Americana and in, in the American of America of the mid nineteenth century. I mean, the the Mormon Trail was a big thing, but we the Mormon Trail followed the Oregon Trail for the overwhelming majority of its length as well, right? I mean, this was this was a big part of our culture in the country. This was manifest destiny. This was people trekking west for a better life. We did it for our own reasons as well. But for me, it's all just so wrapped up in that period of American history. And I can't really divorce the two, I guess. And so yeah. It's, uh, yeah. And you know, I I I grew up kind of feeling bad that I didn't have pioneer heritage um with both of my parents feel uh being converts and there were always the people that tried to emphasize oh the modern day pioneers but sometimes it did feel like holding up you know oh i'm a descendant of x who came across you know at this time um kind of felt like something special that not everyone could participate in like i said i don't feel guilty in a lot of situations i don't really feel bad about it but i do remember as a teenager think feeling like Hey, the the way you're talking about it makes other could make other people feel like kind of second class yeah. um, citizens of the church. And I suppose, what is the desired outcome of Trek versus not holding Trek? Like, what what is it? I guess that's the fair question for any activity. What 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 is your ROI on this? Is it is it going to to boost their faith in the? I don't know. In the restoration, is it going to boost their faith in Brigham Young leading the? Is it just to d- develop an appreciation for what they did? And that's going to make you a stronger Latter-day Saint because of Yeah, the article mentioned several of those things. They also mentioned people who had some spiritual experiences during the famous or infamous, depending on your perspective, women's poll that they always do. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, and- well, I've seen, I've seen the movie Trek, and that's about all the Trek. Okay. I need. Um, we didn't do it. I never Trek was not a thing in California. I okay. know anyone who did Trek in California. Okay. Just wasn't even aware of it until later in my life. Okay. Yeah, like I said, I love Trek and it's hard for me to separate from my love of like early American recreational villages. So yeah. um can't really separate the two. I also remember this one night we had really good broth and I love broth and it was supposed to be like, a, Oh, you do, you only have broth for dinner, but I was loving it. <laughs> You're like, this is the dream. This I is the dream. I think it was like ramen packet um, added into warm water, but for some reason <laughs> I was way into it. So <laughs> well, I'm glad the broth, <laughs> I love broth. Trek was worth it because just getting a nice cup of broth takes me there. Oh, that's good. Um, well, we got a couple of quick mentions to bring up. Nothing major here. Uh, this is barely even worth bringing up, but LDS Living published an article called 12 Perfect Christmas Gifts for, for Missionaries. Um, this is really just a reason to link to Deseret Book 
landing yeah. pages. Wait, That's all Jeff, this where can I buy these 16 amazing gifts? You know, if I hover over these buttons, every single one takes me to Deseret Book. Isn't that nice? None of them take me to Amazon. What are they thinking? I mean, if I look at these links, there's campaign links. These are UTM links, but I don't think this is an affiliate link. Come on, LDS Living. Think about this. I know that you're all owned by the church, but if you made this an Amazon link, you could be getting some affiliate commissions. What are you guys thinking, people? Come on. Uh, anyway, there's nothing much that wild about this. Some of these are fine. Socks, a new bag, a multi, a multi-wood puzzle kit. Okay. I don't know how, I don't know how you're multi-wood. <laughs> I don't understand that terminology exactly. Is it like a chicken nugget? It's not it means like different. It just real means different. meat. It means like- different. Multi chicken parts. It's different pieces of wood. Does it mean it's different types of? Wood? Okay, now I might actually have to click on the link for this one. Okay, That's they one sucked that. you in. They. they what, did their what, job. what does multi wood mean? Is it different types of wood? Anyway, um, but some of these jumped out at me as kind of hilarious, like a sixteen-inch Christmas tree, which I'm sure would be fun for your apartment. But like missionaries are living out of suitcases, transfer to transfer. Right. I mean, unless it's just a straight-up donation to the apartment for the for the festive season, I wouldn't want to pack that up. I mean, my, my suitcases evolved substantially during my mission where I think one entire suitcase by the end was full of nothing but just books and trinkets and junk. And then my other suitcase actually had my clothing and stuff. You don't, you know, you got to give things up over time. Most of these are fine. A missionary tie bar, a Merry Christmas missionary necklace, which says it's for a sister missionary, but I think that's a little genderist. I mean, it could really be for anyone. Gold chains are back with Gen Z. I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so anyways, that's all. I just, mostly the tree jumped out at me when I saw that. I was like, I don't want this on my mission. If you sent me a tree, I just, thank you. And it would it would stay in that area. It would never go anywhere else. Another quick thing happened. You might've seen this in the news. It's a, three of our apostles have been in Great Britain. Elder, Pres- President Ballard, Elders Holland, and Cook were all missionaries in England at one point in time, I believe Elder Holland and Elder Cook were actually companions, if memory serves, at one point in time. They're all back in Great Britain for a couple of reasons. I'm hoping it's to go to the climate change, the climate conference up there in Scotland, but I don't think that's what we're taking part in, unfortunately. But uh, there they are in Britain. Church News is covering it really well. Some great photos. I think it's just fun because it's clearly very meaningful to all of them to be back there and back there together. These three people have known each other for decades and just to be back in the land of their mission, enjoying strolling around places where they used to serve and just the landscapes and the people and the coast of Scotland. Yeah. But this is like this week for Elders Cook in Scotland is the first time they were together in England since 1962. Oh, that is very heartwarming. When they were companions, yeah. A few years ago, I um, I went on a study abroad. I did a theater program in London. So not the London Center, um, but kind of the, 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 step, the stepchild of the London programs. Um, and I went back with, with a friend um, just a few years ago that I had gone on the study abroad with. And it was really fun to go around to the different places and um, experience London together again. Yeah. So it's fun. They even visited the Scottish Parliament, which if you've never looked up the Scottish Parliament, long-time listeners know I went to grad school in Scotland. I've got biases all over the place. But if you've never looked up the Scottish Parliament, a divisive building, but a very interesting building and worth checking out because it is not some old like Georgian or Victorian building. It is this uber modern, like Catalan oh, wow. design. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I just so, looked it up. That is very modern. 
Yes, very cool building. Scotland only got their parliament back in 1997 with devolution. So they visited with uh, Elder Stephen Kerr, who is a Latter-day Saint and a member of the Scottish Parliament. He's a member of the Conservative Party of Scotland, which practically has no representation whatsoever. That's just a fun thing. little factoid. for Scotland's dominated by Labour and the Scottish National Party. So anyway, fun times for them. Good times for the, for the brethren. Happy they're happy. Great. We'll link to the story if you want to read more about it. Now I'm just like missing Great Britain and I want to go back. I, I just I just started the latest episode of the Great British Baking Show and it is mm-hmm. making me a little bit nostalgic. Did I interrupt? So is it this week's episode? Because I've watched it already. I no, we, it ju- we just started the season. We like to build up a few episodes so we well, can kind of binge. Just always ask yourself, WWJD, right? What would Jurgen do? Jurgen, he he is a deer. He is a deer. He Jurgen just, is ev- he's everything you want like a delightful German man to be. Oh, hello, I'm Jurgen. Yes. Oh, this is just so lovely. I'm Jurgen. When he made the black forest cake, and uh, uh, Paul made him judge his own cake, that was a pretty special moment. Jurgen is a rock star. If you folks don't know what we're talking about, you haven't lived. It's it's good times. I'm I'm obsessed with Jurgen. I love Jurgen. Jurgen and Giuseppe. I love the Italian guy and yeah. the German guy who are up there every week, just like slaying it for the most part. So, well, good times. Anything else, Patricia? You want to bring to the fore? Um, no. I mean, you were telling me about the LDS charities in Kurdistan. I haven't read much about that. Anything of note there? Uh, well, we talked last week how some of the church leaders were on a swing through the Middle East. They were in Jordan. They were up in Iraqi Kurdistan. I think Elder Bednar was there, but uh, Sister Bingham, President Bingham of the Relief Society, uh, met. they met with a bunch of senior leaders of uh, the Kurdistan Autonomous Region, and they wanted to thank them for... It was specifically a delegation from LDS Charities, so you know that... Um, oh, geez, I'm blanking on her name. The rock star, Sharon Eubank. Thank you. You know, So Sharon Eubank was there leading the discussion, and... If you don't know much about Iraq, Iraq is a multi-ethnic country, and the northern part of it is populated mostly by Kurds, and they have secured themselves a degree of autonomy since the U.S. kindly invaded the country in 2003. And um, it's the most stable and prosperous region of, of Iraq, and nominally democratic, and all kinds of things, but still there are issues and, and things. And the church has been active there with Latter-day Saint Charities, and so it's just great they were able to meet with them and uh, you know get some good time in with the government officials and meet with the prime minister of the Kurdistan Autonomous Region. That's great. The Kurds are the, Kurds are the largest uh, people without a state in the world by most measures, as far as an ethnic or, or, or social group or linguistic group that do not have their own country. They are scattered across Iraq, Syria, Turkey, and Iran in significant numbers. It creates major political issues in Turkey. So I want all of you to look that up and come back next week prepared for a quiz. Thank we'll you. Thank you for the homework. And then the last thing I'll mention, you guys, you guys had talked about this article last week because um, of kerfuffle about the historicity of the Book of Mormon. Interesting conversation, yeah. in my opinion. But there is one tidbit that they mentioned in there that I did want to bring up since today is the first day of American Indian Heritage Month. Um, and the church donated $2 million, um, uh, to the f- $2 million to the first Americans Museum in Oklahoma City. And it's pretty cool. They're sponsoring a family search um, specifically to preserve Native American traditions and stories and family history. Because of course, family history is really important to um, the Church of Jesus Christ, but it's also really important to a lot of other cultures, including Native Americans. Mm-hmm. And I think it's um, especially uh, a nice 
gesture and an investment in, in a disinvested um, community um, because it's really promoting them to connect back with their culture and their traditions and sharing some tools that we've developed. And I think sometimes we can get caught in the trap of expecting donations or contributions to yield missionary efforts, but this seemed to be yeah. a really good example of what can our unique contribution be to bolstering um, a different culture. So I, I like that tidbit in the article. Um, and then Uchtdorf also talking about um, uh, aviation pioneers and, and barbecue of the Midwest. He's just like, this is the jam. Yeah. Look at the food you people have here in Oklahoma. This is living the dream. Right. And he revealed his love of Westerns, um, but he did caution us, you know, Westerns t- typically polarize people into good guys and bad guys. And he said, don't do that. Find commonalities and, and find reasons for outreach. So he wants us to watch ones like Unforgiven that are more nuanced. Yes, more saying. nuanced. Yeah. He's, he's into the more nuanced Watch some uh, True Westerns. Grit from Unforgiven. So don't watch Tombstone little too over the top. Maybe we can get him to give us a Western playlist. Can we get, I want to get Elder Uchtdorf to admit he also watches Ted Lasso. That's what I need. That is what we need. We, we need, you know how um, the Obamas come out with their, their list of docs, yeah. books, etc. Yeah, yeah. We should, we should get Uchtdorf to do the same. I would actually kind of wish the brethren would do that in general. It'd be kind of, it would be cool to know what they're actually reading and how they're spending their time. Not to like you know validate any of my 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 failures to be perfect with media consumption and say aha they do it too. But I just I would just love to know yeah what what they do what makes them tick more. I think that'd be super interesting. That would be interesting. Good times. Well, everybody, please go to thisweekinmormons.com if you haven't, where you can stream this show, leave us a comment, you know, and you can also join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we are actively pushing content and discussion, all kinds of fun things there. Big shout out to our patrons on Patreon, patreon.com slash thisweekinmormons, where you can please pledge three bucks a month, three whole dollars a month with the inflation of the past nine months. That's not that much money. So truly, you can do this. But thanks to all of you who do that. Really means the world. Much appreciated. And I want to thank uh, Patricia Doxy for joining us this week once more. It's great to have you back in the saddle. Thanks for having me. Saddle, is, is that a Western reference? That is a Western reference as we go out. And uh, and as they say in Ted Lasso, pure hearts, clean heads can't lose. Uh, you know, whatever. Close. Right? It was close. It's like, have you ever seen that meme that shows like this thing where it shows a picture of like Patrick Stewart and it says something like, use the force, Harry. <laughs> it takes like all nerd culture into one meme with everything being wrong as far as the first. That's what I did. That's what we're going for. Okay. I liked it. All right, folks. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to Twim. We'll catch you next week on This Week in Mormons. And until then, have a terrific time. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.